Well, good evening. Good to see you tonight. Good to be back and studying God's Word together. And those joining us by live stream as well, welcome to you. And we always have a good number every Wednesday night studying God's Word with us. And a good crowd here tonight also, so it's good to see all of you. Hope you had a great week. And John chapter 11 is where we are. We have a great chapter tonight, some really good things in there. And so we'll study that together. So turn with me. John chapter 11 in our study, Portrait of Jesus, the Gospel of John. And just a reminder, as soon as we're finished with this, which will probably be in, in January, mid, mid late January, starting in February on Wednesday nights, we're going to look at the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, and I think that you're going to find that to be interesting as well. So we'll go just like we're doing now, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, throughout the book of Revelation. So tonight, John 11, uh, ESV is what I'm reading from. We'll look at all 57 verses. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word tonight. I'm thankful for how Jesus is revealed in this word, Lord, in such a way that we see his character. We see uh, exactly the way that, that, that you were when you walked this earth among us. And God, help us to be more like you. Help us to have the attitudes, uh, everything, the actions, everything that Jesus had, help us to have as well. So, Lord, tonight, would you be our teacher, whether we're sitting here in our worship center, we're joining us by live stream, wherever we are, Father, I pray that you would be our teacher and open up your, your word to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's begin looking. And first of all, I want to give you an overview as a reminder where we are. I had to miss last Wednesday night. I appreciate Doug teaching a wonderful lesson from 1 Corinthians 12 on the part, body parts of, uh, in Scripture and into the church that God has placed. And so here's a reminder, again, overview of where we are. And Jesus had a three-year, three-and-a-half-year public ministry and so now we're into the latter portion of that public ministry. In fact, starting next week, we're going to see Jesus heading for Jerusalem for the final time where he will be crucified. So where we are now in John 11, we're in the latter portion of the third year of his ministry. We know it's the third year because already we've seen two annual feasts that he attended. Remember those? Feast of Dedication and the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Tonight we're going to see the Passover mentioned and so you can gauge by how many feasts that you see Jesus attending, those annual feasts, you'll know how many years into his ministry it is. So we're into the third year. We have about less than a year left in John chapter 11. The story tonight as we begin is the death of Lazarus and raising Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. Now here's something I find interesting. Of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the only one to record the raising of Lazarus. Matthew didn't, Mark didn't, Luke didn't. Something as significant as this, which is one of the, one of the key events in the life of Jesus, why didn't they record it? I mean, I mean, John did, but not the other three. And so, th that's kind of puzzled theologians through the years. Why didn't all four record it? It was so powerful. Well, a couple of theories. One theory is that, that primarily the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are Peter's perspective. Of course, Mark was the first to write. That was Peter's gospel through, the, through Mark, John Mark. And then Matthew Luke kind of went off of that. And so that, that's Peter's perspective. And Peter wasn't here when it happened. That's one theory. But there's another theory that I think may be more close to accurate. 
And that theory is that it's very possible whenever Matthew, Mark, and Luke, whenever they wrote their Gospels, remember it was earlier, John wrote very late. It's very possible that when Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote, Lazarus was still alive. And that any kind of mentioning him or the story or saying how powerful it was and how the people were amazed and, and talking about it again may have endangered Lazarus' life from the Jewish authorities. They didn't want to bring it up again. Possible. Because by the time John writes, he'd have been dead. So it's very possible that the reason they don't record it, the synoptics don't, but John does is because Lazarus may have still been alive whenever Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote. So that's a possibility. And in this story tonight, Jesus deliberately allows Lazarus to die. If you do that today, you would be arrested. You cannot allow someone deliberately to die without rendering aid, without doing something. Jesus deliberately let him die. But there's a reason. Because he was showing that he is the resurrection and the life. He's already told us he's the water of life in the Gospel of John. He's already told us he's the bread of life. He's already told us he's the light of the world. And tonight he tells us he's life. And he conquers death. And he is the resurrection. Now, our greatest enemy tonight is death. It's the one we fear the most, right? I mean, we can say all that we want. I've noticed how people are chivalrous about death when they don't think it's near coming, you know, close. But whenever it gets close, we get frightened because death is our greatest enemy. It's going to win. We know that. And so we don't want to talk about it. We keep it at a distance. We take vitamins. We exercise. We want, it, we want it out there. We don't want it close because we fear death. We're afraid of it. But if Jesus can defeat our greatest fear, he's Lord. Warren Wearsby said, if he can do nothing about death, whatever else he does things about doesn't matter. <laughs> but if he can do something about death... He's the King of Kings. And tonight, he shows us, I am Lord even over death. So let's look at it starting in letter A, the death of Lazarus, the first 16 verses. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The word Lazarus means God helps me. I'd say he did. Bethany is two miles east of Jerusalem, still there today. It's a, still a community of, uh, there in, in today. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Why would he tell us that? Don't we know Mary and Martha? Well, maybe he's writing to a group that didn't know them because the synoptics don't mention this story. So he identifies them. Verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Why did he tell us that? We know. We're, we know the stories. Well, again, the synoptic gospels did not include this. So he's telling for the audience which Mary it was and which Martha it was. 
Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all lived in the same house. Two sisters and a brother lived together outside of, of uh, Jerusalem, um, Bethany, two miles outside there. And so every time Jesus went to Jerusalem for anything, he would stay in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So this family was closer to Jesus than probably most other families. He stayed with them. They were friends. They were close. He loved them. And Lazarus is described as someone Jesus loved. And so Mary and Martha are thinking, we're closer to Jesus than anybody. He stays in our home when, when he needs to have a place to stay. And so if all we have to do is tell Jesus he's sick, because Jesus is two days' journey away, he'll immediately drop everything he's doing and rush here and heal him. Because we've seen him heal people before. He'll rush here to our home and heal Lazarus. Notice the request in verse 3, they don't ask him to heal Lazarus. All they told him was he's sick. They didn't say, please come. It doesn't say, would you heal him? It doesn't say, would you have mercy on him? It just simply says, Lord, he's sick. And they don't say anything else. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Well, it did. So what did he mean by that? Well, it didn't mean to complete death. He was going to bring him back again. Now, here's the irony. He was right. This did not lead to Lazarus' ultimate death, but it led to Jesus' death. Because after Lazarus' raising... The religious leaders said, gotta kill him. We have to get rid of him. And they did. Lazarus was the final nail. So, he said, this is not an illness that leads to death. Not Lazarus' death, but it led to Jesus' death. It's for the glory of God, he says, verse 4, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why would we, we be told that? Of course he loved them. Why did John take one verse of the Bible to tell us he loved them? Because sometimes when bad things happen, we wonder if he does. And sometimes when a loved one dies, we wonder if he does. And sometimes when we pray and ask him to do something and he doesn't, we wonder if he does. And all those things happened to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So it tells us he loved them. He's not delaying because he doesn't care. He's not delaying because he's disinterested. He's delaying so God's glory will be revealed. So he, we're told he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Verse 6. 
So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, it's a two-day journey, remember, from where he was across the Jordan back to Bethany. So he stayed two more days, and it's a two-day journey, so it's four days. So I'm wondering, all four days, Mary and Martha are probably going, Jesus, where are you? Uh, he's getting sicker. The fever's getting higher. Lazarus is getting sicker. Lord, he's fading. Where in the world are you? And Mary and Martha must have had a four-day conversation of, where in the world is Jesus when we need him the most? And they got a little miffed because we see later what they said to him. So his delay does not mean he doesn't care. And I hope maybe tonight you need to hear that. Maybe you've been praying about something and God's not doing anything. Maybe you have a situation he's doing nothing about tonight. And you're wondering, God, you don't even care, do you? Well, just because it's delayed doesn't mean the answer is no or doesn't mean he doesn't care. It means he'll be glorified in the answer greater later. So he waited two more days where he was, verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples thought, this is foolish. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Remember a couple weeks ago? Whenever Jesus left Jerusalem, they'd picked up rocks to stone him, and he slipped out of their midst and got away, and the disciples were probably going, whew, that was close. And so now Jesus, two days later, said, let's go back. And they're going, no, 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 Lord, you don't understand. Last time we were there, they wanted to kill you, and they know exactly who you are, and if you ride back into town again, it's going to happen again. And so, God, why would we go back to Judea again? Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. But if he sees the light of this world, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. It's kind of an odd response, wasn't it? But the Jews divided day and night up into 12 hours each. 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness. And representative of that was... Daytime was representative of good, and nighttime was representative of evil. You remember Jesus saying on another occasion, you work the works of darkness, you prefer darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil, because darkness is representative of evil, and daylight is representative of God's working and good at work. And so he's saying, isn't it daylight? Let's go do the works of God that are good. We don't need to fear the darkness in the daytime. They didn't respond. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to awaken him. Now, in the Bible, the metaphor for death is sleep. All the way back to the Old Testament, Jacob slept with his fathers, Abraham slept with the fathers. It meant they died, and they went the way of those the others that had died. And so it was a euphemism for sleeping was a euphemism for death. And so some people have taken this passage to say that Jesus is teaching soul sleep. 
You know what soul sleep is? That's the belief that whenever you die and we take you out to the cemetery and we bury you, that you lay in the cemetery until the resurrection, until Jesus comes back, and then you're raised out of the cemetery to have a glorified body. There are a lot of denominations that believe in what's called soul sleep, that you're asleep out in the cemetery until Jesus comes back. That's not true. Uh, because it's not biblical. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. He's not teaching it here. It's just a euphemism for sleep. In fact, if you remember Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man died and went immediately to hell, and, and the beggar died and went immediately to heaven. And so the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we know immediately when we die, we, our soul goes to be with Jesus if we're believers. So, so soul sleep does not exist, but some people think that Jesus is teaching that, but he's not. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to awaken him. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. They thought, he's just taking a nap. What's the problem? Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought, verse 13, he meant taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Can you imagine somebody saying today, yeah, so-and-so died. Yeah, I'm glad. But you wouldn't say that today. But Jesus can say that because he knew what was going to happen to bring glory to God and the disciples would be the one who benefited from it. I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now listen to what one of the disciples said. One of the disciples spoke up and said something, verse 16. So Thomas, doubting Thomas, right, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, here's the picture. The disciples are thinking, if we go back to Jerusalem, they're going to stone Jesus. They, tried, they ran him out of town last time. We barely got out by the skin of our teeth. If we go back, they're going to kill him. And Jesus said, nope, let's go. And the disciples are probably a little hesitant. And it was Thomas who spoke up and said, come on, guys, let's go with him. If they're going to kill him, they can kill us. That's, that's pretty strong faith, isn't it? Doesn't sound like doubting Thomas to me, does it you? I mean, I think doubting Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes. Thomas was one who he wanted to be convinced, but once he was convinced, he gave it his all. And here Jesus convinced him, we need to go back. Let's go. If they kill you, they can kill us. And he's ready. Now, I want you to notice something about his name. Thomas called the twin. He was a twin. Jews had two names. They had the Hebrew name and they had their Greek name or their Aramaic name. Sometimes they had three, but mostly just two, Hebrew and Greek or Aramaic. And the name in Hebrew was Tom, T-O-M, which meant twin. The Aramaic was Toma, T-O-M-A. 
which meant twin. And Greek, the word was Didymus, which meant twin. So his name was Thomas and Didymus and the twin. So the question is, who's his twin brother? We're not told. We don't know. Here is what church tradition says. Now, this is interesting. It doesn't mean it's right. It just means what the tradition of the church, early church developed. Here's what they said, and the tradition continued. The tradition says that Thomas' twin was Jesus because he looked like him physically. Not that they were twins. Obviously, they weren't. I mean, biologically, they, they weren't, but they looked alike. And, and church tradition said that Thomas physically resembled Jesus so much, you had to do a double take that Thomas looked physically like Jesus. And because of that, they nicknamed him the twin. He really wasn't a biological twin. It's just that he looked like Jesus so much physically that they called him the twin. Maybe. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But it never tells us who his twin is. But church tradition says that he looked physically like our Lord. And so they called him that. But John throws that nickname in there, doesn't he? Thomas, called the twin, and then goes on and tells us. Kind of interesting. Now I've got letter B on your outline. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Two days he stayed after he got sick, and then two days journey. It's now been four days. That's significant because Jewish rabbis taught, and this has been discovered with documents, and it's not just a, it's not just a, a theory. It is a known fact from documents from the time period that Jewish rabbis taught in that day that whenever somebody died, the spirit hovered over it for three days, hoping that they would kind of wake up, that they really weren't declared dead for three days. And it was, a, it was a superstition, it wasn't biblical, superstition that the spirit hovered for three days waiting to re-enter the corpse. So, Jesus waited four days. Why? So, whenever he resurrected Lazarus, nobody could say, oh, he really wasn't dead anyway. His spirit was just hanging around, and he kind of woke up, and he really wasn't truly dead. He hadn't been declared dead. So, they waited until the three-day period had passed. And that's why it's four days. But John specifically tells us it'd been four days. So there's a reason why he told us. Jewish rabbis taught that. So it's been four days, no doubt, he's dead. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. They had two types of mourners when somebody died in those days. They had actual genuine mourners. You knew the family. You knew the, the, the person, the deceased, and you genuinely mourned and cried. But then they also had a second group of professional mourners. Every family would pay people to come from the nearby town and who would 
wail and cry, and they were loud, and they were professional mourners to show grief. So they had both. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you sense in that one statement, anger, disappointment, a little miffed, Lord, I've seen you heal other people, and when it comes to somebody you love the most and stay with when you're here, you're absent. And Jesus responded, first of all, before he did, verse 22, it's significant. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even now. Even four days dead. If you say it, it can happen. It's a lot of faith, isn't it? I'm wondering, maybe tonight you're in a situation that you need to say even now. It looks like. The ship sailed. It looks like whatever you had hoped for is not going to happen. It, looked like, it looks like your prayer is not answered. Maybe, just maybe, you need to pray tonight. God, even, even now, if you can do something, would you do it? Verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That tells us two things. It tells us, number one, Martha knew the Old Testament because Isaiah 26, 19 tells us God's, God will raise the dead one day. It tells us the second thing, she was more influenced by the Pharisees than she was the Sadducees. Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection, the Pharisees did. So she said, I know, he will resurrect one day at the final resurrection. Jesus responded, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. There is that I am again. And everyone, verse 26, who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her a question. Do you believe this? What was he trying to do? He was trying to elicit from Martha faith. What does God do in our circumstances that look so bleak? He's trying to elicit faith. He asked us the same question. Do you believe I can do anything about your circumstances? It's a good question. Some of us will say, no, I don't believe you can. Others will say, ah, yeah, I believe you can. And others will go, I don't know. But he's trying to get from us the same he's trying to get from her. Do you believe this? So she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. That was one of the high points of, the con of any confession in the Gospels. It's by Martha at a time she's disappointed with God. Can you, when you're disappointed with God, give one of the heights of confession of faith and belief and trust? The word I 
is in the emphatic position in Greek syntax. So anytime a position is the word uh, is in the emphatic, you can emphasize it when you say it. So it'd be like her saying, yes, Lord, I believe. She's emphatic. Verse 28, let's look at letter C on your outline, Jesus weeps. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. He not only wanted to talk to Martha, he wanted to talk to Mary. What I find interesting about this is what she called him. She didn't say Jesus. She said the teacher. Rabbis didn't teach women. They never taught women. They taught only men. But she's looking at Jesus as a rabbi who's teaching women. Verse 29. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Folks, we see Mary three times in the Gospels. All three times... She's at the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, John chapter 11, John chapter 12. All three times, she's at his feet. Pretty good place to be, isn't it? She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died exact same words Martha said. Don't you know that over the course of four days, Mary and Martha said that to each other many times. If he'd been here, he wouldn't have died. If he'd been here, he wouldn't have died. If he'd been here, he wouldn't have died. They probably had said that to each other, and it's exact same phrase both of them said to Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who'd come with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit greatly troubled. Now, most commentators will note that the phrase deeply moved, it's two words in English, it's only one word in Greek, but it's an odd word that John used to describe how Jesus felt. It's the word embrimisai. Embrimisai was outrage, anger, indignation. It was, the, it was the word picture of the flaring of the nostrils of a horse when it snorts. Literally means horse snort. When they blow out in anger and the nostrils flare, that's the word picture that's described of Jesus. Why did he get angry? Who, who was he angry at? Why are we told... He got so angry, he, his nostrils flared. Well, a few theories. One is, they say, some say he was angry at the, the, the mourners. Remember the mourners, some of them were paid, and so they were hypocritical. They really didn't care about Lazarus. A lot of them wouldn't even know him. 
but, and yet they're mourning and they're wailing really loudly. It tells us in verse 33 they had come out to wail. And so some say, well, it's talking about the wailers. He just, the hypocrisy really bothered him. Yeah, maybe. Another one said, well, uh, that he is, it's the unbelief of the people. He was so angry they didn't believe him. Yeah, maybe. Another theory is that he resented, uh, uh, Dr. Barrett uh, said this, he resented the fact he was being forced to perform a miracle. Well, I don't believe that. But I believe he was angry at sin. Look what sin had caused. Sin had caused death. It causes all of our deaths. We die because we're sinners. Sin entered the world and sin entered because of death, entered into this family, and a family he deeply loved, they were mourning, and it moved him so much so he got so angry at death. And this is very possible. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He joined the mourners. Now, not in a loud wailing way, but in a quiet weeping way. How do you know it was quiet? Because of the Greek word it's used for cry. It meant silently weep. So the Jews said how he loved him. Why did Jesus weep? I mean, uh, why, yeah, why, why did he weep? Some, some people say, well, um, they, he wept because he was just so sad at what, what was going on, and he was moved by that, and that's, that's possible. Others say, well, no, he, he wept because uh, he, he was empathizing with the Mary and Martha. Well, that's possible. But there are others that say he wept because he was going to bring his good friend Lazarus back from a place that was awesome and he knew what a disappointment for Lazarus it was going to be from leaving heaven to come back here possible Jesus wept verse 36 so the Jews said see how he loved him but some of them could not he opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Others are going, wait a minute, I, I remember the spitting and putting mud on the guy's eyes and him saying, why couldn't he stop him from dying? Go letter D on your outline, Jesus raises Lazarus, verses 38 to 44. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, there's that horse snort word again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. In those days, as you know, you've heard from the time of Jesus, they would cut out of limestone rock uh, 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 an entrance and a, a place where you, a cave where you could bury bodies. And, and really, rich but middle class Jews both had private tombs. It was not unusual to own those. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had one. Roll the stone in front of the cave, and Jesus said, Take the stone away, verse 39. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. It, she's probably thinking, Lord, if you wanted to see him, you should have been here. Just leave it, the stone rolled away at the mouth of the tomb. He, he stinks by now. 
It's been four days. Sometimes they tried to bury them quickly. It was a very hot climate. As you know, if you've been to Israel and it's hot, it gets really hot there. And decay happens quickly. And so many times they'd bury them the same day. It's now been four days. She says, don't even open it. Jesus said, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now, notice something about this prayer. He never asked God to raise Lazarus because he had the power to do it himself. In fact, he didn't even need to be there. When he got the word, two-day journey away, he didn't even have to come. He could have remotely said, be healed, Lazarus. And it would have happened because he already did that with Jairus' daughter, healed her from a distance. He didn't have to be there. And so he never asked the father to raise Lazarus. That's interesting. Spurgeon said, notice how short the prayer is. And Spurgeon said about this passage, Maybe our prayers need to be shorter themselves. And maybe we need to not tell God all the things we want. Maybe we just need to pray short and tell him how good he is. Maybe so. Jesus didn't even ask the request of what he wanted. Verse 43, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. Why the loud voice? Back in those days, they had magicians and wizards who would travel around and they would do magic. Very popular. People would flock to watch magic tricks. Not just in our day, in that day. And the magicians and the wizards would, whenever they would do magic, they would, they would whisper. And they would get down, they whisper, poof, something would happen. And everybody would be amazed. But they whispered. And Jesus didn't want anybody to think this was magic or wizardry. He yelled with a loud voice what he was saying. It wasn't magic. It was the power of God that defeated death. And he said, Lazarus, come out. Notice he called him by name. You've probably heard before. He had to call him by name. If he hadn't have, everybody in the graves had come out at his obedience, at obedience to him. So he specifically said, Lazarus, so the rest of them would stay in there. And Dr. Merrill Tenney, great New Testament scholar. In fact, I used his textbook, very first New Testament survey course that I took. Dr. Merrill Tenney notes that the word come out literally means this way. Lazarus, this way. As if somebody is in a cold, dark dungeon labyrinth trying to find their way out. That's death. But Jesus says, this way. And Lazarus followed. Out of death into life. In verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hand, notice it doesn't say Lazarus, the man who had died, 
came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I wonder what that looked like with him coming out. Spurgeon again kind of postulated at this point thinking, I wonder if he's wrapped up, how did he walk out? Was it a miracle? Or did he kind of bunny hop out? Or did he kind of float out? We're not told how he got out. We're just told he came out. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And they did. Now let's move quickly to the last section. Letter E on your outline, the plot to kill Jesus. Here's the response, verses 45 to 57. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So here's a response to Lazarus raising. Some believed, some didn't. What does it look like in our world today? Does some believe, some don't. So the chief priests, verse 47, and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go, if we, go on, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both, notice this, our place and our nation. They were worried about their positions and their country. Sometimes we get worried about our positions in church and our church. You see, the religious leaders falsely believed it was their nation. It wasn't. It was God's. Sometimes we falsely believe this is our church. It's not. It's God's. And our place here is something God placed us in. If you're in a leadership position here, God placed you there. It's not anything special. You did. I'm a pastor here not because of anything special. I am. This is where God has placed me, but it's his position. It's his church. They were concerned about their position and their nation. Verse 49, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So here was, Ca here was Caiaphas's viewpoint. Let's kill Jesus, not lose the country. It's better to kill one man and keep our nation together. So that was the choice, and that's what they did. Verse 51, he did not say this of his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Verse 53 is where it all changes. From now on, the rest of John, we're going to talk about his death. Verse 54, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Verse 55, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Verse 56, they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now, the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, 
he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So now his death is getting close. And next week, we will look at John chapter 12, the triumphal entry. Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time before his death. Questions or comments or anything, if you want to go to the microphone so those on our live stream can hear you as well. Questions or comments before we close this evening? Anything at all? All right, good to see you. It's always good to study God's Word with you. His Word is powerful, alive, and active, and it's, just, it's really good to study it together as a church. Let's pray together and we'll dismiss. Father, once again, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the majesty and the glory and the wonder of Jesus. And Lord, I just pray as we continue to teach through John, you'll show us more and more of who Christ is and how we can be like him. Father, thank you for the power over death that you have, that you are the resurrection and the life, and that you can and have defeated our greatest enemy. God, direct us the rest of the week. Help us to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.